1: free i've been free i've been freed. i've been free hey. thanks be to god through jesus christ my lord
0: All uh Could you uh, let me just put uh, the video on here? <laughs> Oops. All right. Uh, good morning again. Could you turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter one, verse one? Ephesians chapter one, verse one. And we're gonna continue our study. Bring my arms down. On my I love this chair. And uh, when I'm playing the guitar, I can put the uh, the armrest up. And when I'm not playing, I can put the armrest down. Ah. For a long time, i last last three years, I had this. There's a lot. Well, it wasn't too bad, but it was it was pretty lousy, chair, And that way we had it in Massachusetts, and I had a decent one, a nice one in, in Iowa. But I had to leave it behind. It was all, it was all beat up. Wouldn't have made the wouldn't have made the trek back to Massachusetts. But uh, anyways, that's ancient history now. It seems. So uh, we're going to continue our study of uh, the epistle, Paul's epistle to the Ephesians, which actually tur- turns out is actually not only intended for the Ephesian Christian community, but also for the various Christian communities throughout the Roman province of Asia. As we've been pointing out, this is a circular letter like First John was, and uh, for those who study First John with me. And uh, so we'll be today, as you can see on the board, we'll be looking at, in this introduction, the place of origin and the date, and as well as the literary genre of this letter. I just wanna make sure I got my, my phone. I have my, my phone on airplane mode. I don't want my, my dad calling me in the middle of a broadcast. <laughs> My mother, my mother would do stuff like that, but she can't anymore. So uh, uh, so we're going to look at the place of origin today, the date and the literary genre of this letter, and all these things that we've been noting in the uh, in the uh, introduction are very important for interpreting correctly and accurately this epistle. We do this with every book we study, and for the written articles on these various books that have done. Over the last 25, 30 years, I have an introduction for every single one of these books that I've taught on and in the written form, too. So, and a lot of the, you know, by the way, also just, uh, you know, I give my notes out. Uh, there are people who get my notes, and actually, you're looking, viewing my notes uh, w- with me when, I, uh, when I'm when bro- i doing these broadcasts. I, I actually use the notes that I would have at the pulpit with me, but I don't have a pulpit here. I do it at DBC, of course. But, um, I, the, the notes are basically just a little thing on the notes. I, I have like, usually it's about, you know, five pages of notes tops. And then, um, and then a lot of times it'll be four, sometimes on occasion it'll be three, three pages of notes. And so like, for instance, uh, like today's class, my, my, my software program for uh, Logos, uh, basically uh, this particular, the, 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 the amount of notes I have here are like about six minutes. So the rest of the class is extemporaneous <laughs> so because so, so the notes all really are the notes really are a outline and the major things I want to talk about and each of these things I I go into detail so um, so today usually it's usually about 10 15 minutes long is what my notes um, you know uh, that's how long it usually take you know the, the, about you know in my written notes usually it's about you know 10 15 minutes uh worth of material to speak but the rest of it is all extemporaneous meaning it's coming out of my head you know i'm so um i remember when i first started uh i remember
1: (laughs) i remember when i first started
0: my first church plant i mean i was just newly i was just ordained a couple years before and you know the the thing was always oh i hope i have enough i hope i have enough information (laughs) i remember when i first sat in for for my pastor he let me teach and uh I had all this, I had all kinds of stuff with me. I was like, I might as well have brought my library. It was funny because you're just like scared to death. Like, geez, am I going to have enough material? What I found out really quickly is that, um, I didn't need to have, I used to have 14 pages of notes, you know, and all the slides used to have the slides the old time, you know, you know, turning up in the book before we had PowerPoint projectors and screens and all that. And, uh, so I just look back now and laugh, you know, those poor people. Uh, and, uh, but you know it was too much information, and and I actually what turns out, uh, what I found out pretty quickly is that then I, I dumped it down to like ten real quick, and then, then seven, and then eventually it was like five, uh, five and four, four or five pages is the is the, the limit of how many notes I want to have, and um, because I, I you know well, I realized I know you know. I know, I know it better than I thought I did, you know? So I was like very I was petrified early on, like, oh geez, am I going to have enough material? Well, that's not my problem. My problem was I have to learn to edit. (laughs) So I make, I mentioned all this because, uh, you have five pages of notes I'm actually working off of today and you're going to get much more than five pages of notes. Um, so, uh, from my coming out of my head to the Holy spirit, but, um, if you all the you know these, if you look at the written articles, the exegesis and exposition, or the written article on the introduction to Ephesians, there's a ton of other stuff that I could have related to you. So, uh, and stuff that, it would, if I did share everything with you in quotes and everything, we would be here for about five six hours. <laughs> So, or longer probably. So, we, you know, I have, you have to edit, you know. So if you want to know more about the, the, the Ephesian epistle, the introduction, you can download those written articles when I put them up on the winston.org page. So as soon as I finish this, this uh, the, uh, the lessons on the introduction, I will put the PDF document of the, of this introduction on not only our winston.org site, but also our Academia EDU website. So... And, uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a little cue in on the notes. So a lot of people, you know, when they think that they, you know, get the notes from me that they're going to get what I taught on. Yeah, you get the, the, the skeleton of it, but really that's not everything that I had to say as I, I just told you. So, uh, you know, the notes are only probably about 10 minutes worth of teaching. So, so you're missing a lot of other stuff if you're not listening to me or watching. So don't think you get you get the whole view on the on the passage or the or what we're talking about teaching about uh, with just uh, listening looking at the notes. All right. So enough of that, and let's take a moment of silent prayer. This is our custom. We take a moment of silent prayer to examine ourselves to determine if we're in fellowship with God. Because any mental, verbal, or overt act of sin that we knowingly commit will cause us to lose fellowship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But according so 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins to the Father, he, God, the Father is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. In other words, he purifies us from each and every wrongdoing. So uh, we restored to fellowship to the confession of sin. And uh, it, as it says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins to the Father, he, God, the Father is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. In other words, he purifies us from each and every wrongdoing. Now we have to maintain that fellowship uh, once it's been restored to the confession of sin. We do that by obeying the Spirit who speaks to us through the scriptures which he's inspired and that's when we're obeying the commands of Ephesians 5.18 to be filled with the Spirit and Colossians 3.16 to let the Word of Christ richly dwell in our souls. So if there's anything that's bothering you, disturbing and distracting to you, do what 1 Peter 5.7 says, cast all your anxieties upon the Lord because He cares for you. So with that in mind, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given to us. We thank you for the grace, the faith, the salvation, you're working on our behalf of eternity past. The personal work of your Son of the cross, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives from regeneration to resurrection. We thank you for loving us, sending your Son to the cross to suffer the, your wrath in our place so that we wouldn't suffer the wrath of God forever in the lake of fire when we were your enemies. And also, at the moment of our justification, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, raising us, raising us up and seating us with your Son, Jesus Christ, at your right hand when we were dead in our sins and transgressions and i pray father that we would continue to look back at what you've done for us in the past through both the work of the the, the son and the spirit so that we can uh, respond in love and demonstrate that love by our faith and obedience to your word and we thank you for the work of the holy spirit inspiring the scriptures giving us understanding with regards to the scriptures and reproducing the character of christ fruit of the spirit when we obey what he's teaching us in the scriptures and we pray he would do a mighty work through all of us today heavenly father i just pray that you would uh, help people in the audience that are your children and i thank you for each and every one of them whether they're live or through the rec- watching or listening through the recordings help them to learn and understand by the spirit and apply correctly what they're being taught and uh, enjoy what they're being taught and sh- and, uh, and so that they can receive the necessary spiritual nourishment and continue to grow uh, in their walk with you, Father, and a more intimate walk with you and your Son and the Holy Spirit. I also pray that you'll help me by the part of the Spirit as the communicator to bring forth your full counsel today with regards to the subject of the introduction to Ephesians and the place of origin of this epistle and the date of it and the literary genre. Help me to uh, bring forth it uh, with uh, accuracy and clarity, reverence, respect, and power. And uh, I pray you, would, the Spirit would use me mightily. Help me be sensitive to the Spirit's guidance and direction so that your people can be fed and receive their necessary spiritual nourishment. And all of us would be able to praise you with with one voice and continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our great God and Savior, our Son, Jesus Christ. I also pray for the technology. I thank you for it, people taking advantage of it. I pray, Father, that everything will function properly, the recordings, the video, and the audio, and uploading these things to our various websites, podcasts, the media platforms that you've given to us. And I pray you thank you for them, and I pray you use them mightily and protect them from the enemy. And our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. If you haven't turned there already, uh, go to Ephesians chapter one, verse one. Uh, as I said before, we're gonna be uh, continuing our study of the introduction to this letter. Uh, thus far, we noted the, uh, the canonicity in the first hour of this epistle. And uh, this is important, obviously, because was it accepted by the churches inspired by God? As we pointed out, canonization uh, inspiration determines canonization. Uh, the church simply recognized these, the authority of these books, the divine authorship of these books, and they had that through the. They were able to do that through the gift of the Spirit and the gift of discernment. First uh, Corinthians twelve ten talks about that, and so this book was accepted immediately, like all Paul's writings, uh, by the first century, second, third century churches, as being Paul's, being uh, written by Paul, and also. Not only that, but also uh, being inspired by God, which the second hour we studied the authorship of Paul, which I just mentioned, uh, it, uh, it was accepted unanimously. In the, uh, in the. we see it in the Athanasius uh, Festal Letter and uh, the Martians List, the Moratorium Canon, and our study on canonicity. The, this book was uh, considered as Pauline and authorship. Uh, the the author, Pauline authorship, as we put it out, has never been questioned until the 19th century when you had uh, uh, modern criticism and uh, and so, even up to our day and age now, even evangelical scholars who are conservative, and when I say conservative, I'm talking about in their theology, they believe in the supernatural, the resurrection of Christ, prophecy. Liberal scholars in, the, uh, in theology are those who do not believe the supernatural, so they don't believe in the resurrection, kind of like the Sadducees. So, uh, but even evangelical scholars today, many do not accept the Pauline authorship. They believe it was a pseudonymous letter, like First Timothy and Second Timothy and Titus today. The majority of scholars and the, with regards to the, the pastoral epistles believe those books are uh, pseudonymous letters. But as we pointed out, uh, the church has never, whether you look at the, the the New Testament itself and the writings of Paul, pseudonymity was never accepted by the early Christians and by the apostles. In fact, Paul, as I pointed out in 2 Thessalonians, with those who studied that book with me, remember in 2 Thessalonians 2, he was trying to uh, calm the Thessalonian Christian community down because it appears that somebody went into uh, into the Christian community there and said that the day of the Lord was already taking place. And Paul says that's not the case. And he says even if a letter allegedly written by us says it is, you're not to accept it. And that's why he puts his authenticating mark on the letter at the end of the letter in 2 Thessalonians 3 17 18 to show that this is what makes a thought, uh, this is an authentic letter for me. Here's my uh, authenticating mark at the end of the letter. So if you don't see that in a letter that's supposed to be from me, it's not me. Uh, every letter I have, I send you, will have this authenticating mark. He does this in Colossians at the end of Colossians, he does that in Galatians. So it's very important that we understand that. And also, uh, we saw on uh, Tertullian, uh, he mentions in his work on baptism that there was a pastor, a Christian pastor, who was posing, uh, uh, was writing out, uh, writing uh, letters that was uh, with using Paul's name, and he was doing that in, to increase the fame of the apostle Paul. But they excommunicated him for that, even though he was not doing it to demean Paul or uh, to uh, slander Paul or to misrepresent Paul. Uh, or to teach false doctrine. He was actually a fan of Paul's, a big fan, but they, you don't do that. And that tells you, not only in the New Testament writers like Paul, but also the early church like Tertullian makes clear to us, even if the person has good motives, they never accepted pseudonymity. So it's fascinating to me, and I say this in astonishment, that a lot of the scholarship, uh, scholarly community and biblical scholarship think that your pastoral epistles are, uh, are pseudonymous and not Paul. Uh, and same and now even Ephesians. but the early, and that's the other thing, the early church all the way for eighteen centuries, the early church accepted Ephesians as being Pauline and authorship as they did uh, the pastoral epistles. yet what we have, the the I call it the uh, the modern arrogance of of uh, of of the world to, you know the postmodern arrogance, and it's even infected the church. Well you know we think we're smarter than the early the 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 uh, our forefathers, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the early church, they were closest to the autographs than we were. So not saying that they're going to be right every time, but I, it is, you need to pay attention to what they're saying when they do say something, especially when it comes to authorship or, or the canonical, uh, the canonicity, the question of canonicity with regards to a particular book. And then we note the risk, the recipients, and, uh, in, in our third hour on Saturday, this past Saturday. And we saw that, uh, The the Apostle Paul was writing to not only the Christian community in Ephesus, but also to many different Christian communities throughout the Roman province of Asia. And so this is what we call a circular letter. We know this because of a couple of factors. One, uh, we saw that, um, that there's no personal greetings that Paul communicates in this letter, which you would expect he would, considering he spent three years in Ephesus. That's according to a comparison of Acts 19 with Acts twenty thirty one. So he spent three years there. So you would think when he writes this letter from Rome, as we'll say, that uh, he would have personal greetings like he does in Philippians or in Corinthians, stuff like that. But you don't see it, that personal greetings. So that tells you, even though he knew these people very well, not having personal greetings would be an indication, clear, a big indication that this is a circular letter. Meant for more than one Christian community, more than Ephesus. The other factor is the prepositional phrase "an uh "an Ephesus," in the Greek. It's, tra- it's translated in Ephesus, in uh, in Ephesians one one. Uh, if the um, a lot a lot of manuscripts, some of the best and the most ancient manuscripts, don't have that prepositional phrase. That that same, a lot of manuscripts, ancient manuscripts do have it. They do, but. A lot don't, and some good ones too. Uh, and so that's significant. And uh, you couple that with Martian, who had uh, who claims that uh, Colossians, the letter to the Laodiceans that Paul mentions that we saw in our last class in Colossians chapter four, was at verse 18. He says that that letter was the Ephesian letter because the contents match this letter to the Laodiceans mentions what other manuscripts say it was to the Ephesians. They have the same content. So that's significant. So all that's telling us that there had to be, this has to be a circular letter. And, and the scenario, which I uh, I, I adopt from uh, uh, Dan Wallace, uh, Dr. Dan Wallace, is that it uh, was written from Rome. It was sent to Ephesus first, this letter, that bears the name, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, the title, and they made copies there. And it, then it was on to Laodicea with it. And that's where Martians saw. Copies of 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 this letter we call Ephesians today. He saw that same contents, but it was entitled to the Laodiceans. From there, it went out to the various churches of the Roman province of Asia, as we pointed out in our uh, in our last in our last class. So, let me see if I can um, find this particular um, Paul's uh, missionary journey here. Just give me a sec to find it here. So, okay. That wasn't too bad. So I'll get my pen going here too, which I found by the way. It's the, the re, they redesigned the uh, Logos, so I couldn't find it the other day. It wasn't where it usually is. And I hadn't used it in a while. So here's, here's Ephesus. I'm sc- circling it for you with the green pen, or I can make it a pur- uh, yellow or purple, or red. I like the purple, Let Me say, say right there. How do you like that? <laughs> so it was, an, it was sent from Rome into Ephesus. And then from there, he slipped out he said somebody over there who we know is Tychicus. He had Tychicus had a big job. He had Philemon. On this trip, he took Philemon and they Paul's letter to the Colossians in this book, Ephesians, we call Ephesians today. He had both of those works. Talk about how about that, huh? What kind of responsibility he had. I wonder what kind of trip he had. <laughs> I wonder if the enemy was trying to attack him on that one. Uh probably. So he goes to Laodicea and then Colossae, and then it gets sent. He brings these letters. Uh, to Philadelphia, Sardis, Thyatira, Pergamum, Smyrna, okay, all of these cities, the seven churches of Asia in Revelation 2 and 3, okay, that's where the main cities that he, Christian communities he was writing to that he wanted this epistle that we call Ephesians to go to with those different Christian communities in those same cities. So 1 John, as we pointed out, who studied 1 John with me, that's the same thing. John did the same thing as Paul did. And, you know so i believe that's exactly what the whole Romans, roman province of asia the various christian communities in the roman province of asia paul wanted everybody in that province all these christian communities in these various cities to see this epistle which we call paul's epistle to the ephesians today so that so we talked about the pauline authorship as i said before and uh let me get you my uh and then today uh we'll be noting the place of origin We'll be noting the date of this epistle, which is tied to the place of origin. The place of origin will tip us off on the date, as we'll see. And then the literary genre. What type of literature are we studying here? And uh, a lot of people, you know, when I, you know, we study the Bible, uh, you've heard me say many times, you study the Bible in its historical grammatical interpretation, interpretation of the scripture. You can be a scripture with scripture. You go back to digital languages. You pay attention to context. Well, there's context and there's literary context too. So, and the historical context. So literary context means, you know, what are these, you know, who is, uh, what type of literature is being used here? So that's very significant because we do this all the time without even knowing it. You know, we know, we know a difference between an email from your boss or a friend or a love letter from your girlfriend or your, your boyfriend, okay, or your husband, your wife, whatever. Uh, you know the difference between, you know what you're reading is, when you're reading is fantasy, or myth, or history. Um, you know a poem when you read it, and, uh, and you know what's an historical narrative. Uh, there's apocalyptic literature the Bible uses. So what kind of, you know, Bible uses all types of literature. There's, there's Psalms, wisdom literature, uh, like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, there's historical narratives all over the place. Uh, you know, like uh, Acts and Genesis, the big ones. Uh, there's apocalyptic literature, like in the Book of Daniel and Revelation, chapter six through the end of the book. Uh, the uh, Zechariah has apocalyptic literature. Uh, then there's then we have uh, the Gospels. The Gospels are they're like they're histories. they're they biographies, but they're not the the type of biographies that we read today about like Kennedy or uh, Douglas MacArthur or Roosevelt or whoever it is. Uh, they write biographies. Uh, uh, you know, the Gospels were not written to the pattern of a biography, a modern biography today. Uh, the, that's why got, the Gospels leave out a lot of the childhood of Jesus. It's not important to the biblical writers there. What was important is is is, is the virgin birth, God became a human being, his death and resurrection, and in uh, his his, and his providing redemption through his his death and resurrection for the for the all the sinful humanity and many other things, but the Gospels have certain, they take their hist- biographies, but not the way we would ex- look at a biography today. And uh, so so that you have to take that into account when you read the Gospels. A lot of times in the Gospels, there's, you know, we look at, when we do a biography on somebody, we're reading chronologically about their life, from their birth to their teenage years to their, their uh, adult life and until the day they die. Okay, the Gospels don't do that. They're all they do different things with the, with the historical events in Jesus' life, in order to and fit them into what the point they're trying to make with the people they're writing to. And then uh, we also have uh, the epistles, of course, and these letters that were that Paul wrote and John wrote, Peter wrote, used them, Jude used it, um, James used the letter epistle, for, uh, that particular genre. It, you see that more than any other genre in the New Testament. You see epistolary literature, okay? So that's very important because when we look at this, we need to uh, interpret it according to uh, that particular understanding that's the genre we're using when we look at Paul's writing here in Ephesians, okay? So this is what we're going to look in the introduction. And this is all very important when we interpret the Bible. And I've I said this several times before before. Uh, a Bible dictionary. Get a good Bible dictionary because uh, Bible dictionaries will give you this information that I'm giving you about this book and all the books of the Bible. Um, you know, I can give you a couple of names that to get and uh, Bible dictionaries. This is my Logos program. But there's the Anchor Bible, Anchor Yale Bible Dictionary. Um, I use that. I use all these. Easton Bible Dictionary, Erdman's Bible Dictionary, Harper's, Holman's Illustrated Bible Dictionary. Lexham Bible Dictionary I think is really, really good. I use that a lot. The New Bible Dictionary Third Edition is excellent as well. So any one of these are great. Uh, Unger's uh, Bible Dictionary is great. So these things will have various articles that uh, on these different books like Ephesians and they'll give you the information Information I'm giving you uh, and, uh, and and really in abbreviated format because uh, of time constraints. Um so that's important. And I think you'll, and that's why when I tell people that getting in and study the Bible, what I did is, you know, get a good commentary. And, and if you, you know, you want to learn the whole Bible, I mean, you're going to get the Bible, these different books in exhaustive detail with me. Um, but, you know, I always, you should have sanctified time alone with God. What I used to do is get a good commentary, like the Bible dictionary commentary. I used to do use Javer and McGee when I was first get starting out, like Bible d- dictionary commentary. Wolver and Zuck were the editors it's under $50, I think. And, you know, read, go through the Bible with it from beginning to end. And you really learn a lot. You know, you'll get, you'll get in, you'll really get, enjoy it. And then while you're doing that, pick up a Bible dictionary, one of these Bible dictionaries, and you really get, in, and then you're really studying. And that's what happens. And that happened to me is I, I fell in love with it. I, I, I you know, I started taking notes. Next thing, you know, I got a computer. Next thing I'm writing a commentary myself. And, you know, so, it, and then getting into the original languages, and uh, so, it, 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 you can really have a lot of fun, I mean, um, you might not be the pastor teacher, but they had that gift, but it's a lot of fun, and uh, I like to see people, I like to share the joy of studying the Bible with people when I'm, when I'm, when I'm teaching, and in these classes, and I, I want to share my experiences, and maybe help you guys uh, fall in love with the, the Word of God, like I did, and uh it was the greatest thing I ever did, was invest my time in and these things so uh, we should uh, if you look at uh, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 1 I'm reading for the the, uh, the ES uh, the new uh, the net Bible from Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints in Ephesus the faithful in Christ Jesus grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ so the traditional view of the church is that the Ephesian pit epistle was written while Paul was under house arrest in Rome, awaiting his appeal before Caesar, we'll look at some a passage in this book, which makes clear that he's Paul's under house arrest, uh, in prison. But he actually was under house arrest; uh, he was chained to a Roman soldier, but he had his own rented quarters as we'll see. This is not his second imprisonment, which ended in his death, but it's his first Roman imprison, imprisonment, as we'll say, as we say, uh, which in which he wrote not only Ephesians but Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon we did Colossians, we did uh, Philemon, I've done Philippians, I haven't taught it all the way through, but I will in the future, and now we're doing Ephesians. So, the traditional view in the church's history uh, is that the, the Ephesian epistle was written while Paul was under house arrest in Rome, awaiting his appeal before Caesar. Now this view went unchallenged for 18 centuries, and you, you see, and however, in modern times, there are those who dissent, and you see this all over the place in biblical studies. And the reason why that is, you know, you you know, get to the 19th century is because you, you're having the effects of the, of, of um, the Enlightenment, where basically from the Enlightenment came postmodernism and uh, modernism and postmodernism we call it today, and and uh, I call it the modern arrogance. You know, we we frown upon the people of the ancient world; they we think we're smarter than them, and uh, so how smart could we be? We still have wars, and we have greater wars than they did, more of them, and uh, we 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 are a mess. Those great things about living in the modern era, no doubt about it. Modern conveniences, uh, technology advancements, uh, in treating in helping people and in, and uh, in, in treating people for different diseases and everything. Oh yeah, um, but um, you know they were not stupid in the ancient world. So uh, we see that the traditional view was that Paul wrote the Ephesian epistle along with Philippians. Colossians and Philemon while he was uh, under house arrest in Rome awaiting his appeal before Caesar. Now this view, again, it went unchallenged for 18 centuries. However, in modern times, there are those who dissent. Now, those who dissent, they put forth two locales uh, that they think that this book was written from. They think that Paul was either reading, uh, writing from Ephesus or Caesarea. And so, these two locales, they don't think, the scholars, they think that Rome wasn't the place. There's some scholars that say Rome was not the place where Paul wrote Ephesians. Uh, they believe it was either Ephesus or Caesarea. Now, the burden of proof rests with an Ephesus and Caesarea origin since church tradition holds to Paul writing Ephesians, Philemon, Colossians while under house arrest in Rome. And uh, I got a typo there. The burden of proof rests, let me just edit this out here because I don't want you to be confused. There we go. That drives me crazy when I don't catch that. So, the burden of proof rests with these scholars who believe that Ephesus and Caesarea are the place, one of those two places where Paul wrote Ephesians. Uh, the burden of proof rests with them uh, with an Ephesus origins. And actually, you know what? That should have been Caesarea. I, I, I apologize there. <laughs> Caesarea. Yes, I want that in there. Well, what was I thinking here? Okay. All right. I got I got it straight down. So the burden of proof rests with an Ephesus and Caesarea origin. Okay. The dissenters say it's either Ephesus or Caesarea that Paul wrote Ephesians. And so the burden of proof rests with them since church tradition. Holds to Paul writing Ephesians, Philemon, and Colossians, while under house arrest in Rome. And this is very important, people, because this is what I talk about the modern arrogance that's in. They're closer. You know, like the people, if you read the early church fathers, they're saying that this book, Ephesians, that we call Ephesians, was written from Rome by Paul. Okay, they say Paul wrote it. It was written from Rome. And uh, so that's significant when they say, we need to pay attention to what they have to say. Uh, I'm not saying they're always right. They're not. They're not always right. But you have to take them, they're significant. Especially when it comes to these matters of, like, canonicity, authorship, and, uh, you know, the, who the recipients were, place of, a date of origin, you know, that, when it comes to these things, that's very helpful to listen to what they had to say, because they're, cl- they're closer to the, the time, uh, the, the original autographs. I mean, somebody in the second century or third century A.D. has probably a greater knowledge about this epistle than we do here in, in the 21st century, as far as when it comes to, you know, the location from which Paul was writing, you know, I mean, they could have been in contact with Timothy who knew, and Luke who knew Paul intimately, right? All right. So we need to pay attention to what they have to say. So, again, very important point. The burden of proof rests within Ephesus and Caesarea origin because church tradition holds to Paul writing Ephesians, Philemon and Colossians while under house arrest in Rome. A critical factor and a Roman origin of this epistle is that Luke is with Paul during his Roman imprisonment. Uh, and uh, Colossians 4.14 says, "Our dear Paul writes, our dear friend Luke, the physician, and Demas greet you. Uh, we have Philemon 24, Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my collaborators, collaborators, co-laborers, excuse me, greet you too. So he's, the, and he makes clear he's in prison there. So Philemon and Colossians both mention Paul being in prison and he mentions Luke there, okay? So that's a critical factor in a Roman origin of this epistle, the Ephesian epistle, is that Luke is with Paul during his imprisonment. And you can compare Colossians 4.14 with Philemon 12, 24, which were written at this, around the same time as Ephesians. In fact, Tychicus took, was given those two epistles along with Ephesians and to send them out to the various Christian communities throughout the Roman province of Asia. Also, this is supported, there's a view that it's a Roman, uh, uh, Paul wrote it from Rome, Ephesians. This is supported by Acts, since it makes clear that Paul's Ephesian ministry does occur in the We section of Acts. We section meaning Luke is with Paul when he writes this section, okay, uh, about uh, Paul being in Rome. The traditional view of the church is that Paul was with, wasn't when that Paul was in Rome when he wrote Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon, as you can say, Philippians as well. And it's still by far the best view because of the obvious connection between Colossians and um, Philemon. So, and Ephesians, we can say. Colossians and Ephesians have a lot of connections. We'll be talking about that as well. And which says that they were written close to each other, but they have a lot of language that Paul, they share. Which is another, brings up another issue that we'll address too. So, Again, the traditional view that Paul was in Rome when he wrote Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon, Philemon is still by far the best view because of the obvious connection between Colossians and Ephesians. And this is indicated by the fact that Tychicus is named the courier of both letters of Colossians and Ephesians. Thus, both letters were written at the same place and time, namely during his first Roman imprisonment which we noted took, which we'll note is uh, took place between 60 and 62 AD. So look at Colossians 4, 7, please, on the board for me, uh, with me. Colossians 4, 7. Colossians 4, 7. Paul writes, Tychicus, a dear brother, faithful minister and fellow slave in the Lord will tell you all the news about me. He's going to be carrying this letter. I sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are doing and that he may encourage your heart. So he's in prison and uh, notice he says in verse 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you greetings. So Paul's in prison. So look at uh, the other passage we need to look at. Uh, Let's get to Ephesians 6, 21. Let's go back to Ephesians. Ephesians 6:21 Tychicus my dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord same Tychicus will make everything known to you and this le- from this letter so and everything else I didn't, that's not in the letter he'll, he'll he'll communicate to them so that you too may know about my circumstances how I'm doing because he's obviously in prison i have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts they need encouragement because he's in prison remember Ephesians is going to the various Christian communities throughout the Roman province of Asia. So not just Ephesus, but uh, Laodicea, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, those places, okay, as we mentioned before. So, again, the traditional view that Paul was in Rome when he wrote Ephesians, Colossians and Philemon, is still by far the best view because the obvious connection between Colossians and Ephesians, and one of those connections is that both books Uh, communicate the fact that Tychicus is the courier of both letters. Uh, Colossians 4, 7 and 8, chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, and Ephesians 6, 21 and 22. Thus, both letters were written at the same place and time, namely, as we'll say, during his first Roman imprisonment, which we will note took place between 60 and 62 AD. So Paul had two Roman imprisonments. The first is between AD 60 and 62. This is approximate. And... He wrote Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon, and Philippians. And I love that. Think about that. Some of the great, most influential pieces of literature in all of history were written while a man was under house arrest unjustly. Unjustly, Paul. So he did some of his best work while he was in prison. Most people would have hung it up and said we'd have been depressed and all kinds of stuff. But Paul didn't look at it. He looked at adversity as an opportunity to glorify God, and which is what we should need to do, people. Um, I remember, you know, um, when I left Iowa, okay, uh, I was there for 18 years, two church plants there. Um, so I leave there, and it was with a heavy heart because I just thought my good friend uh, Tyler passed away. And I was moving away from my, uh, two of my greatest friends Great, you know Titus and Jody, who I taught in their home for years, and they were a big part of my first church plan. And then Cheyenne, uh, their daughter, and so it was with a heavy. Another, you know, I had other families there that it was a heavy heart to, to lead them, but I had to come back, so it was time to come back. But which I we knew was going to happen eventually, um, but I had to come back and help my my mother, who had dementia, and my father, who had heart issues, and he was in his eighties, and at the time he had. Really bad hip. He needed. He eventually got surgery. When I was there, uh, he wouldn't have been able to do that surgery if I didn't come back. So I had to come back, help him, help her, and it was very. I don't know if those people have uh, have uh, family members that have dementia, or Alzheimer's. It was very difficult. It takes away a person's dignity, and it's just. My mother called it because she lost. She was the youngest of nine kids, and she lost all her brothers and sisters to it, except for the oldest, never got it, lived into the nineties. So she used to call it the slow death. So you know so i'm i'm my mother would you know especially when just before she came down was diagnosed with it and then after immediately after she every time i come back to visit from iowa at christmas time or in the summer she would hey you know how about, when do you think you can come back from iowa and move back here and and your room's upstairs she said and i'm like going i'm 57 8 years old and i'm not going to go moving with my parents <laughs> No way. I'm thinking, oh, yeah, keep praying, Ma. I was like, I wanted to come back, but I wanted to have my own place, you know, if I was going to come back. Well, turns out I come back and I end up... She got her will. She got her, She got what she prayed for. I told her, I keep praying. Well, she prayed for it. and So I ended up having to stay in the house. It was a good thing I did because a lot of things I've realized that they he needed, my dad needed, and she needed. And we started bringing people in and stuff. But it was very difficult. I mention all this because it was extremely difficult. I'm not going to say it's a prison experience because it wasn't because I was living with my f- parents, but it was very difficult to deal with a person with dementia. And she had a tremendous anxiety and, you know, sundowning, you know, sundowning, you know, when, you, when, you, when you, it comes, you know, after two o'clock, they, they get whacked out and, uh, cause they, they're confused. And, uh, so it was in the anxiety of the disease, not knowing something's wrong or what, you know, what, you know, I can't remember this or what's, you know, so they, it's all kinds of stress that they have. And then, the drug issue, the you know the dark, the Jerry Sykes trying to give take to calm him down, and it was just a lot. I mean, I was in the hospitals overnight several times. I was up all night with her many times, me and my father. So it was a really, really exhausting. And I'm here, and I'm in Massachusetts. I'm I'm teaching. I eventually I started in the dining room. I ended up went upstairs, took my other both bedrooms in the back room, turned one of them into office, another one's a bed. And these are like tiny little places, you know, like. <laughs> and I'm sitting there, and I'm like you know broadcasting. I, I'm very proud of myself looking back and it was the grace of God, obviously, but I, you know, my, uh, a lot of things, they caught. We, got, we got our podcast during that period. I mean, we were, I was able to broadcast like this. I had no idea how to do this. My, Titus was my man. I he did everything about that, recording and all that stuff. I didn't know a thing about that. Stuff. I was like, oh, I don't have to worry about that. I have, to, I have enough trouble trying to learn how to teach or you're a, you know, do what I'm supposed to do. So here I'm doing that and I'm trying to, Trans, trans, bring the movie, uh, the uh, the the church, much the Bible streets, keep it going, and then you know there's the finally financial issue, like a big hit by leaving Iowa, and uh, as far as the offerings, and I mean I had people who support the mystery, but it was extremely difficult. I mean I, I can tell you, I never prayed as earnestly, and, and even more than when I those that first church that, that church uh, split in 2010. Even this was worse than that, and it was just very, 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 very a lot of pressure, a lot of adversity, more than I ever experienced in my life. And I was like, and I've I've been through a few things, <laughs> especially around the time I got ordained. Uh, but you know what? I look back now, and I knew at the time I had, a, you know, I was instead of being, a, you know, you get emotional at first, but then you you know you had to like okay, I I get to survive this. I need to really like think doctrine and pray, and talk my meditate upon. God's word and make application to my circumstances and deal with it, and know that embrace it. You know, God's trying to do something, Bill, in your life, and He's trying to use you to help your parents. And you know, He's there. He you know, He's not going to leave you for sake. It's funny. I was doing the Book of Haggai when I came back, and the whole book about that book is about God saying to the 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 the, 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 the exiles from Babylon, "I'm with you." And I was like, "Oh, there's me. I, this is what I needed. You're with me, God." And He was, and so. That is has passed the crisis passed and now here i am in huntsville all of a sudden it's like and uh, we're not even close to the stress i had uh in massachusetts but i look back now and i i was very proud we you know we finished off first thessalonians there we did second thessalonians we did the doctrine of prayer uh, we did habakkuk we finished haggai there we started jude there we did uh forget the doctrine of forgiveness apostasy uh, we did a whole bunch of stuff, and I was able to keep, continue uh, writing. I don't even know how I had the time to do it. <laughs> but you know that so I bring this point up because Paul, you know he you know he he was the master he really he was the master you know of the circumstances because he realized that when he was aware of the fact and he reminded himself that God's with him and this was a part of God's plan for him to become like Christ like he says in the Philippians, you know the fellowship of his sufferings. You know, so we want to go to spiritual maturity. Well, God's going to put us through adversity. So Paul, he didn't sit there and cry in his beer. You know, he did something. He was doing something. He made the best of his circumstances. And look at God did. Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, and Philemon, he produced. The greatest works, the church, one of the most beloved works that the church has today that we all love, you know. But he wrote those while under house arrest. So Paul... So don't get the don't get down about your 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 circumstances. You're in a bad marriage. You got a bad you play. You live in a you know, you 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 a you're living with your parents like I was. Uh, you're like you know you lost your job. You, you know you, you you didn't get a raise. Uh, you, you know you're. I mean all kinds of stuff that happen in life, right? You know you're sick. You got illnesses. Your family members sick and ill. You lost a family member. Like I lost my brother Kenny in November. You know, the thing that's life. That's we're in the devil's world, and that's going to happen. So you can either two ways you can look at like you, you can look at it from God's perspective, and and the adversity, or you can feel bad about yourself and be like everybody else in the world, sitting there complaining all the time. You know, you want to be a bitter and complaining person. I I one of the things I as you know as it as I get older, I don't want to be an old built if I live long enough. If I live into my eight, 70s and 80s, I don't want to be a bitter old person. Those are the worst type of people to be around. They're complaining all the time and. It's awful, you know? It's like, it's not, I want to age gracefully if I age, if I go any further than this. But I, I just want to age gracefully. And, uh, and so Paul knew how to do that. Paul had two Roman imprisonment people. Uh, from The first one was from 60 to 62 AD where he wrote Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, and Philemon. And the second one was in AD 68 where he wrote 2 Timothy. And I believe he wrote Hebrews as well, but I can't be sure of that. But definitely 2 Timothy, a book we studied. So those were his two Roman imprisonments. So Paul, he wrote Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon during his first Roman imprisonment while he was awaiting his appeal before Caesar. And he was actually permitted to have his own rented quarters in Rome with a Roman soldier guarding him. Uh, Go to Acts chapter 28 and let's go, we'll go to the end of the book, uh, chapter in the end of the book. Um, Okay, look at... uh, Look at Acts twenty-eight seventeen, please. Acts chapter twenty-eight verse seventeen. So, picking it up in context, he enters Rome, and he is. Uh, as you see, as you see in Acts uh, twenty-eight sixteen, it says when he entered Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with the soldier who was guarding him. Okay, and so this is the context. After three days, verse 17, Paul called the, lo- the local Jewish leaders together. When they had assembled, he said to them, now see, he's, he can have them at his own place, his own rented quarters. Brothers, he says, although I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our ancestors from Jerusalem, I was handed over as a prisoner to the Romans. he's why he's saying this. Remember, uh, he was accused by the Jewish people of uh, bringing in Trophimus, a Gentile Christian, into the Jewish section of the temple, which was a no-no. So there was put out that he did this and it was not true. And the mob came and tried to kill him and the Romans saved his butt. And so he was not killed by the mob. And then he then spent several years, a couple of years uh, with Agrippa and, and, uh, and, uh, and trying to, um, and he was never released. They were looking for a payoff from him and uh, Felix and Agrippa. And, uh, but they, they would Paul wouldn't pay him off. And so he finally appealed his case to Caesar, which he could do as a Roman citizen. So they said off to Rome he goes. And that's where, that's why he's in Rome, which is where he wanted to be anyways. If you read the epistle to the Romans, he had never met the Roman Christian community, but he talks in that letter about wanting to see them and then going on from there to, uh, that they would help him to go to Spain. So, uh, we did the book of Romans. We talked about, we learned, uh, we studied that in detail. So it says in uh, verse 18, but when they heard my case, the Romans, they wanted to release me because there was no basis for a death sentence against me. But when the Jews objected, I was afford, I was forced to appeal to Caesar. Not that I had some charge to bring against my own people, the Jewish people. So for this reason, I have asked to see you and speak with you for I am bound with this chain because of the hope of Israel. They replied, we have received no letters from Judea about you, nor have any of the brothers come from there and reported or said anything bad about you. But we would like to hear from you what you think for, for regarding this sect, we know that people everywhere, the Christian sect, everywhere people speak against it. Okay, so Christianity is being spoken about and the Jewish people are hearing that too. So they set a day to meet with him and they came to him where he was staying in even greater numbers they came. From morning until evening, he, Paul explained things to them. Imagine they taught all day, testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus from both the law and Moses and the prophets, that he was the son of God, that he was the Messiah. And he was a witness to his, eyewitness to his resurrection. Some were convinced by what he said, but others refused to believe. So they began to leave, unable to agree among themselves. After Paul made one last statement, and the Holy Spirit spoke rightly to you, your ancestors, through the prophet Isaiah said, when he said, Go to this people, the Jewish people, and say, you will keep on hearing, but will never understand. And you'll keep on looking, but you will never perceive. For the heart of this people, the Jewish people, the unregenerate Jewish population, has become dull, and their ears are hard of hearing, and they have closed their eyes, so that they would not see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, be advised that this salvation from God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. And Paul lived there two whole years in his own rented quarters, and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with complete boldness and without restriction. That's why I say he was under house arrest. He was chained to a Roman soldier, and they guarded him. And uh, that's why you get the the, uh, the 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 whole full armor of God metaphor, because he because he was looking at the Roman soldier, and he said, Ah. I can use that with regards to the spiritual life and our union identification with Christ and military metaphor, the, uh, the full armor of God metaphor, which is actually speaking of our union identification with Christ. So he's in his own rented quarters for two years and he, he's got, uh, no, he can't come and go, but he can receive people and he did and he taught, as, a, as a, this passage says. So that's very significant. So Paul wrote Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians and Philemon during this first Roman imprisonment, while he was awaiting his appeal before Caesar, and he was actually permitted, as we saw in Acts 28, his own rented quarters in Rome, with a Roman soldier guarding him. Ephesians 3.1 and 4.1 make very clear that Paul was incarcerated while writing this epistle. Look at Ephesians, go back to Ephesians, go to Ephesians 3.1. Paul writes, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. Uh, Then you look at Ephesians chapter four, verse 1, I therefore, the prisoner for the Lord, urge you to live worthily of the calling with which you have been called. So the contents of Ephesians make clear that Paul was incarcerated. So traditionally, therefore, the church has considered Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon, and Philippians as written by Paul during his first Roman imprisonment, which we noted previously took place between 60 and 62 AD. And again, this is indicated uh, by the inference from the contents of Acts 27 and 28. Now, I want to, uh, the last, uh, portion of this, uh, lesson. I'd like to talk about the literary genre of this Ephesian epistle. Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians according to the pattern of letter writing found in the ancient world during the first century called the epistle. Now the epistle is among the oldest forms of communication. In fact, the epistle is the oldest and most abundantly preserved types of texts. That we have today from the ancient world. So these text extant tech, documents are extremely important to us today for historical, literary, and biblical research. Now the Babylonian royalty, they employed epistolary communication as far back as 2275 B.C. The Egyptians, they used this form of written communication extensively, as evidenced by the remains from the second century millennium, uh, second century B.C. Akkadian letters have been found on postures in clay tablets and the greatest greatest epistolary activity occurs during the Greco-Roman period. The Greek language was diversified into various dialects such as Aeolic, Doric, Ionic, Attic, but yet mutually intelligible. Eventually, all these dialects were joined into one common language, the Koine Greek, which Alexander the Great spread throughout the rest of the world, which he had conquered. The Romans spoke Latin, but very much were influenced by the Greeks in their culture. In fact, the Roman Empire at its height spoke primarily Koine Greek in the days of Paul. The The Romans wrote their law, however, in Latin, but their literary prose was in Greek. Now Paul's letters in the New Testament generally followed the same pattern of letter writing found in the first and second centuries. His introduction found in Colossians and Ephesians follows exactly the formula of this period. In fact, all of Paul's writings pretty much follow this. Now, the structure of Ephesians is written according to the pattern of letter writing found in the ancient world uh, during the first century AD. The general form of a first century letter contained the following elements. First, we had the identification of the author. And then, number two, we have the author identifying the recipients then we have the greeting and then we have the main body of the epistle and then number 5 we have the closing greeting which is usually was usually a simple word wishing the recipients good health but it was more than that too but and then lastly number 6 you have the final signature of endorsement by the writer of the letter so again you know we we know like the, the Egyptian papyri was very significant because it goes back to the 1st century AD a lot of them and uh, what we find, there was a man named Diceman, Adolf diceman He wrote Bible Studies and Life from the Ancient East, I think it was called. And what's significant about those works is that he found these in this papyri that the New Testament epistles, like Paul's letters, they follow, they sound just like, they're structured just exactly like the letters from people in the that weren't Christians, that were just business transactions or a letter from a parent to a, you know, a child or a child to a parent or, or some kind of business. They followed Paul's letters in the New Testament, followed the same structure as those letters that were found on the ash heaps of the ancient ash heaps of the world, those, these papyri. So that, that Diceman's great, con, great contribution was bringing that out, which meant that the, the New Testament language, if you read these letters, you know, Guy read, read, read them and, uh, I mean, it sounds like an epistle that Paul would write. I'm not saying the spiritual matters, but the language used, you know, the greetings type thing. So uh, that tells us that, you know, Koine Greek was not, as as people used to think erroneously, some Holy Spirit language, you know, Holy Ghost language, they used to call it. It was the common language, Koine Greek, was the common language of the people in the first century in the Roman Empire. Okay, so Paul's epistle, Follows that same pattern. Uh, go back to uh, Ephesians. Go to Ephesians one one. Please. Ephesians one one. So Ephesians one one. We have the greeting in verses one and two from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the greeting. Now, we usually we have a thanksgiving section, usually in Paul's, but what's interesting here, uh, in Ephesians, he does something a little bit different. He doesn't always follow the exact order, but he has the same elements in every letter. But uh, right here, as a, as a doxology, which is fantastic, I just finished it off, you're, you're going to love it. Verses three through 14 has this doxology. It's the preface actually of the letter. And then, then he has Thanksgiving, which usually he usually would have earlier, but he has a Thanksgiving section in verses 15 through 23, which is actually his intercessory prayer for the recipients of this letter. So look at Ephesians 1.3. Ephesians one three. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. So This is the beginning of the body of the letter and the beginning of the body of the letter starts off with this doxology which is the preface for the letter. For he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we may be holy and unblemished in his sight and love. He did this by predestining predestining Us to adoption as his sons through Jesus Christ according to the pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace that he has freely bestowed on us in his dearly loved Son. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He did this when he revealed to us the secret of his will according to his good pleasure that he set forth in christ toward the administration of the fullness of the times to head up all things in christ the things in heaven and things on earth in christ we too have been claimed as god's own possession since we were predestined according to the one purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were the first to set our hope on christ would be to the praise of his glory and when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed in Christ, you were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit, who, the Holy Spirit, is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Now the Barney letter continues. Now we have the thanksgiving section. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you when I remember you in my prayers. And then he goes to talk about his, his intercessory prayer for them. And then, so that that's the body of the letter, but the body of the letter, if you skip all the way over to the end of the letter, in Ephesians chapter 6, the body of the letter, it actually ends in verse tw- uh, Ephesians 6.20. And then we have the closing of the letter in verses 21 through uh, 24. Okay? And this last verse, Grace be with all of those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. If you look at these other letters that are not written from, by a New Testament writer, just people in the secular realm in the first century, they have this grace, you know, haddies there too. They have it in their in their closings, They're, and they have the greetings very similar to what Paul greets uh, the different churches, the same type of language. So, again, if you go back to my notes here on the board, and we'll close, we see that the general form of a first century letter, Paul follows, and usually we have the author identifies himself, as we saw with Paul. Number two, the author identifies the recipients. We saw that in Ephesians 1, 1. Then we have the greeting, and then we have the main body of the epistle, the closing greeting, which we just saw, and a final signature a lot of times of the endorsement by the letter of the uh, writer of the letter or, or to, uh, to protect uh, against forgeries. Now, the final signature, signature of endorsement authenticated the letter's contents and served as protection, as we pointed out in previous classes, against fraudulent correspondence. The final signature... Was also important because frequently an amanuensis was employed to write the letter, like in the Book of Romans. You know, Paul mentions Tertius, and then Tertius takes the letter and says, uh, writes, "I, Tertius, greet you." (laughs) Then he, you know, then Paul signs off on it. He signs something. So the the epistolary structure of Ephesians, and we'll close with this, is as follows. One of one first of all, as we point out, we have the identification of the author. In verse one, as well as the identification of the recipients, the body of the letter is in Ephesians 1:3 to Ephesians 6:20, and the closing of the letter is in Ephesians 6:21 through 24. Which is going to, uh, with closing with this, will segue will will be perfect and segueing into our next class on Thursday, where we talk about the form and structure of the Ephesian epistle. So we'll be going this whole epistle in that next class, and and I'll be, as I point out to you, this form and structure of this letter, this great epistle. Well, thank you for joining us. Let's pick it up on Thursday, Lord willing, at 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. We pray that this lesson would be a blessing to your people and helping them understand this great epistle that Paul wrote, not only to the Ephesian Christian community, but for all the various Christian communities throughout the Roman province of Asia and the first century A.D. So help us and guide us in the application of what we've learned and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ's name we pray.
1: Amen.